Spark Science listeners, we are back from our long hiatus, and we've got a new season, new format, and new stories for you. Do you like volcanoes? I know you do. Maybe you like earthquakes. I don't. But guess what? We have our own Dr. Kaplan Auerbach, who is a volcanologist, seismologist, and friend of the show. She's here today to talk about underwater volcanoes, earthquakes in Alaska, and the accuracy of the 1997 film Dante's Peak. So we invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy our first interview of season five. Welcome to Spark Science, where we share stories of human curiosity. I'm your host, Regina Barber-DeGraff. I teach physics here at Western Washington University. I'm an astrophysicist, and I love pop culture. And I'm here today with a friend of the show, um, our third guest ever, Dr. Jackie kaplan Arbeck. <laughs> and she is a um, seismologist, volcanologist, and she teaches um, geology here at Western. And thank you for coming back. Oh, it's my total pleasure. It's great and, to be back. Oh, I wanted to talk today about current events, so like, mm-hmm. Um, the volcano that just you know exploded, erupted in uh, Hawaii, mm-hmm. um, the big um, earthquake in Alaska. Mm-hmm. But before we go into that stuff, I kind of want to let you tell us what you do here at Western. Okay, I'm on the faculty of the geology department. Um, my research focuses, as you said, on you know sort of hazards on volcanoes and earthquakes. I particularly study the earthquakes that take place within volcanic systems. Um, I also study earthquakes that are associated with landsliding, though, and I do some marine geophysics, so I'm kind of a hazards junkie in general. Um, but that's, you know, kind of the bulk of, of the directions I go. I would sort of say that if I, like if I'm on an airplane and someone asks me that question, like if I want to talk to them, I'll tell them I'm a volcanologist, right? And if I don't want to talk, I'll tell them I'm a geophysicist. And it's all true. It's just depends on how I want to present myself because there's a variety of options. We think of geology, the geo of course is earth, and of course this is the use of physics to study it. I mean, honestly, I'm a physicist by trade far more than I'm a geologist. That's I why actually, we get along. It is why we get along, it's one of many <laughs> reasons. Um, but yeah, I had actually never taken a single class in earth science before I started my PhD. My whole background was physics and in fact astrophysics. So, so yeah, but it, it, the difference is that once I w- was using my physics, the questions that I had that I wanted to answer through research were about the planet. Mm-hmm. And so geophysics can be any time that you use that. And that could be, you know, the kind of work I do that's in hazards. That could be, you know, the questions that people ask about the deep earth, about earth's, you know, core, about earth's mantle. It could have to do with plate tectonics. It could be questions of if we build a road here, is that cliff going to fail? You know, Mm. it has to do with the strength and integrity of rock, and it has to do with um, consulting. It has to do with resource extraction and how we know where to find resources. So Mm. it's very wide. Um, My particular side of it, of course, is just the hazards. Right. And when you were talking about this idea of kind of asking those new questions, what was like one of the first new questions that you saw? You know, I went into it so cluelessly that I actually have a very, um, I was going to say a vivid memory, but it's not. It's simply at this stage, any memory counts. Memory Um, of a memory. Exactly. Of the essay that I wrote when I was applying to grad school and it very specifically in there said, I don't know what the questions are that's Mm. unasked. I just, for me, it's all new. So I don't really know what direction I want to go because I don't know what we know and don't know. I wound up studying, the thing that was very exciting to me was the idea of studying the oceans and studying the hazards associated with them. Um, I wanted to live my life on the water and 
it was sort of a revelation to me that there was such a thing as marine geophysics. So the yeah. things that were interesting were tsunamis and earthquakes and then I actually went on a hike up Mount St. Helens and I got to the top of Mount St. Helens and it was just this mind-boggling sense of the planet's power and I thought, this is it. I'm going to study undersea earth volcanoes mm -hmm. and the earthquakes they produce and you know how they caused tsunamis and I didn't know if there were undersea volcanoes because I'd never studied it. Um, and truly by dumb luck, I found an advisor at the University of Hawaii who was about to put down seismometers on an undersea volcano. And it was like, oh, you know, yeah. all kind of fell together. So yeah, so my first questions were related to the structure of that undersea volcano and what I also by dumb luck was working, um, studying kind of its historical earthquakes that we had recorded there. And the day that I started that project, it busted out in this huge earthquake swarm. What? And What is it, an earthquake swarm? Thank you, good question. So <laughs> often like in earthquakes, I, it does, and it could sound like it if you played them really fast. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Commonly in earthquakes, what we get is what we call a main shock and an aftershock sequence. So right. you get a large earthquake, and then the planet needs to kind of settle and it keeps adjusting, and that's this sort of long, prolonged, aftershock sequence. Swarms are where you get many, 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 many earthquakes, not one really large one to start. They may have a wide variety of sizes, but mostly they're smaller and they just kind of pop off kind of like popping popcorn. You okay, know, so pop, it's, pop, it, pop, pop, it's pop. not associated with the settling. It's, it's it, associated with some other kind of... That's mechanism. right, and okay. they're pretty common in volcanic environments. Okay. And so there I was trying to learn about this volcano and it presented me with this lovely swarm. And I was, at the time, working at the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory, just sort of volunteering there when I was doing my PhD. And the seismologist there was kind enough to say, well, why don't you work on this? We're going to give you these data. That can be your project. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be, at the time, the largest swarm of earthquakes that had ever been recorded in Hawaii. Wow. And it was associated with an eruption and a crater collapse at the summit. And this is a volcano called Loihi. It's a very small in a relative sense in Hawaii. Right. It's actually bigger than Mount Baker if we look at it here, but it's all underwater so you can't see it. In Hawaii, Hawaii that's small. So it had this eruption, it had a magma reservoir that drained in that eruption and caused the collapse of a pit crater at the summit. Um, but we had to kind of see it all from without looking because it's all underwater. And what's so much fun now is that it's a really lovely little analog to the activity that we just saw on Kilauea this year, right. where there was an eruption that happened down rift of the volcano, where there was this collapse of the summit, in that case in truly spectacular form. Um, so I kind of feel like I've sort of bookended my, my Kilauea study, or my volcano studies, right. with these two things. It's pretty cool. Well, how do you actually then study these events? So like mm -hmm. you're saying it's all underwater, Right. What are you actually looking at? You you send cameras down there. I know you know you you watch the Discovery Channel and you see all those oh, like yeah. you know underwater um, submarines and ones that are like more drone like right. and like so how do you, how do you do that? So it really depends again on who you are and mm -hmm. what type of science you do. So we talked about what geophysics is. Volcanology is equally broad. Okay. There are volcanologists like me who study the physics. 
There are volcanologists who study the chemistry. There are volcanologists who study the gases. There are people who map the volcanoes. So all of those different things can be applied to any volcano, including the underwater ones. So when you see those extraordinary video, and there really now are these just beautiful high-def videos of, of yeah. people exploring them. Um, sadly, I don't really get to do that because <laughs> I don't need I don't need images for my work. Okay. So because it's all it's all seismology. I right? yeah. Okay. But that is an incredibly important piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. So my piece of the puzzle is, yeah, I put seismometers on, on them, on these volcanoes or on the bottom of the ocean. Because um, you can't put feel them the like, ground on shake. them, right? Because then the material would get Oh, no, up. we do, for sure. Oh, wow. For sure. I mean, it's, you know, depending on what the volcano is doing, that can be problematic. And yeah. in fact, the project I did this summer, one of our instruments didn't come back, and there's a chance that it's just melted part of the volcano now i actually suspect <laughs> there was another problem with it um but we don't really know okay. it just didn't come back to us um so these these this equipment is basically made so that it can withstand a lot of well i mean you it's not going to withstand a lava flow there okay. have been examples <laughs> of lava covering or flowing near underwater or, uh, on these seismometers mm -hmm. there's a great example in one out here off oregon um about 20 years ago now that the lava flowed and it kind of went almost under the instrument and then just picked it up and lifted it oh. and then kind of sank and put it back down and the instrument outside of having to be kind of chipped out came back to the surface just fine recording its data. So, oh but, my what, gosh. but we hope not to do that. Um, but that's a great story. It was amazing, <laughs> it was amazing. But yeah, we drop them and we, we literally, you know, take them aboard a ship and we go to the place where we want to have the instrument and we literally just drop. Um, and it falls to the seafloor. And then we have to know where it is because seismology requires that you know exactly where your instrument is and mm -hmm. exactly at what time it recorded a signal. So we sail around it, we motor around it, we kind of ping to it, and it pings back. And we what have a radius talk. is that like? Depends on how deep the water is. Okay. In the case of the project we did on Kilauea this summer, we deployed the instruments in July, and then we came, actually, another group of scientists came back and retrieved the instruments for us in September. And they go and ping to them, and they basically call to the instrument and say, hey, it's time to come back up. And these seismometers carry a heavy weight mm -hmm. with them. That's what makes them negatively buoyant, so they can sink. Um, and they sit on the seafloor because of that weight. When we ping to them, we say, drop your weights, drop your weights. What? And it sends a little signal that causes it to basically burn through the wire that holds the weight on. Cool. And as soon as that burns through, it disconnects, and now it's positively buoyant and it just rises up to the surface. We all stand on deck and we look for it, and we look for it's got this big kind of day-glow pink-orange flag, and it's got a light just in case this happens at night, and we all wait for it to come up, and then we go fetch it. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Great. Welcome back to Spark Science. We're here talking with Jackie Kaplan Auerbach. Um, we were just talking about the recent eruptions mm -hmm. in uh, Hawaii and your study, basically you taking yeah. students there and, and studying it. Yeah. Can you take me through like the timeline? <laughs> I, rem like, I, I would love to hear like, 
interrupts, you're like, oh my right. gosh, what happens yeah, next? Yeah, I got to be honest, interrupted, and I thought that was really cool, but I, um, I was kind of slow to realize that there was something that I could do. <laughs> but thankfully, I have a, um, a colleague at Rice University, Dr. Mm -hmm. uh, Julia Morgan, who called me up and said, is anyone putting ocean bottom seismometers off this? And I thought, oh, holy heck, why am I not doing this? Yeah. Uh, Julie and I worked together in this area back in 1998, so we sort of knew one another from, from a project offshore Kilauea. Um, so we talked about it and said, well, we should do this. We should try to, to, to organize this thing. And there is something at the National Science Foundation called um, a rapid, a rapid response proposal. Mm -hmm. And they have a small sum of money um, that is set aside for, hey, I need it now. Most proposals take really years to get going, yes. years to develop and to get funding and to get instrumentation. So this is a, is a pool of money ready to go because mm -hmm. we had these three organizations that were interested in different aspects of the same story. So we, you know, wrote to NSF and there's sort of a back and forth about are they going to let us write this proposal and they did and were kind enough to fund it. Um, so, like, how long after the eruption did this happen? So, the eruption, and I should point out that Kilauea has actually been erupting since 1983 continuously. That's this very was just a very know. dramatic shift that took place really starting around the end of April of 2018, of this year. The change in where it actually began to erupt when it moved from an area called Pu'u'o to what's called Leilani Estates. Um, which is a subdivision and populated subdivision, hmm. started erupting out of Leilani Estates on May 3rd. On May 4, there was a very large earthquake. There was a magnitude 6.9 earthquake on the flank. And the flank by which I mean the, the southern kind of half of Kilauea. And that was the thing that really captured our interest. And I think it was probably really June by the time we got it together to reach out to the NSF. Um, happily, there was another cruise also doing ocean bottom seismology in Hawaii. I would wanted to point out the amazing thing about what made our project happen because I think it really speaks to the extraordinary community that is science. Um, you know, here we were begging for instruments and trying to find things and um, Dr. Donna Shillington from Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory, which is Columbia University, she was leading this cruise that was supposed to go out of Hawaii in August. And there was this big question about, really, do we go out there and spend all this money to get a month of data if she's going to need these instruments? And we had a conference call, and Donna said, why don't I delay my cruise by a month? We'll go in September. We'll just hold the whole thing off. For you, we'll, for you three, So basically. you guys can get more data. Wow. And you use my instruments, and then I'll use them after that. I'll pick them up for you. And what? without that generosity, this project wouldn't have happened. And I really think it... You know, sometimes we hear about sort of infighting in academia or in science or my data, your data, and I just think that was um, really testament to how much we truly care about answering these questions, not just right. our publication records. So they're called and cruises. These these, yes, these, they these are. science um, endeavors on a boat are called cruises. They are called cruises, yeah. and it's a very different cruise than you might expect. Right. I mean, our, but it's just as fun. It is. Oh, it's more fun. <laughs> You need know, plan these things out to the hour so you're not wasting any money. And, you know, I'd planned all of our transit for us to sail at 10 knots. And one of the engines kept going offline if we got went too fast so we could only go at five knots when the weather was up. 
So we're in high seas and everybody's sick and the ship is barely going and occasionally oh. like banking to starboard. Oh, but wow. it all worked. It all worked. It was fabulous. And everyone came together. And, and you brought students from I here brought from Western? Students. I brought two students. Julie and Yang each brought a student. And I was raised scientifically um, to never leave a bunk empty at sea. Mm -hmm. If you have space for someone to come at who is learning about science, then you fill it with a student. And so with wonderful crew of seven students who came along with. Yeah, and I, I've talked to a few of them and they, they just had a great time. We so. all had a great time. They were amazing. They didn't know if they were gonna get seasick. They didn't know about the instrumentation. Um, so we had science meetings every night. We'd talk about what we were doing. We'd talk about the science. We had wonderful um, technical and engineering support to train them. And, you know, by the end of it, we'd say it's time to launch this instrument, and boom, they would go out there and, you know, work this instrument and that one and tie off these lines and lower the Straza Tower and get on radio and work the lines on. It was awesome to see. Yeah. They were really, really great group. Well, let's take a break and we'll come back talking about earthquakes and Sounds maybe more cruises. Sounds great. Welcome back to Spark Science. We're talking with hazards junkie, Dr. Kaplan Auerbach. And we were going to talk about the current earthquake in Alaska. But before we do, I just want to talk about the cruises a little more. Sure. So I'm convinced that everybody has some frequency of rocking that will do them in. So mm -hmm. somebody tells you, oh, I don't get seasick, that they haven't been on the right boat yet. Um, that it's a said, resonance frequency, right? In I physics. think it is. I think it is. But some people gen genuinely are more prone to it than others, and, and I've been very lucky in my life to have not had a whole lot of that. Um, but for example, this cruise, we had high seas, and it was pretty rough for, for the transit over and, and um, uh, for actually a good portion of what we did. The way we work on the ships, we work 24-7, and so there are various shifts that people may work. The way we did it, we had... Um, one of the three chief scientists, myself, Julie, and Yang, working eight-hour shifts. Mm. The students worked four hours on, eight hours off, twice a day. So they would work like the 12 to 4 watch, AM and PM, the 4 to 8 watch, etc. They always had people rotating shifts. And um, that means that you always miss one meal, depending on what your schedule is. So we had a, a, a chef 
We had yeah. the chief steward, um, John, on this cruise, and then he had a sidekick. Um, and chef. The sous chef. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, they're up at, you know, four in the morning making breakfast for us, and so we would have a... Because they're working uh, the whole day. They're working all day. So while we were in, I believe, while I was on this cruise, mm -hmm. I heard about this earthquake. Yep. And I'm like in the Caribbean, <laughs> and, and I hear this news about this giant earthquake that happened in Alaska. Mm -hmm. So what was the discussion about, you know, the physics of that and the, right. or the geophysics of that and, and other maybe hazards um, right. that you can talk about since you're, you know, that's your field? Totally. So the first thing to point out is on the one hand, there's a lot of reason to call this a giant earthquake. The experience of this for people who live there was terrifying. It was mm -hmm. really a very frightening experience. There's pictures of these giant um, cracks. That's right. And it caused some damage. Um, in the grand scheme of things, this was not a giant earthquake. This was a magnitude 7, 7.0 earthquake. Um, in 1964, Alaska, actually really a very similar area, the Anchorage area, experienced the second largest earthquake ever recorded, which was a magnitude 9.2. And that's well over a thousand times greater than this earthquake. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about giant, mm -hmm. you know, it has different meaning to the experience and to the, the fundamental size of the event. And I say that only because Alaska has this really substantial seismic hazard because of earthquakes like that one in, um, in 1964. The good side of that is that Alaska is very well prepared for it. Mm. And that doesn't mean that individually we're prepared enough to not be frightened and there's really no way to do that. It's a terrifying thing when the ground shakes. Mm -hmm. But it does mean that the infrastructure in Alaska is built with that understanding. It's gonna shake. Mm -hmm. It's gonna shake a lot, and potentially for a long time. And consequently, despite all those f images that we saw or video that we saw of cracks in the ground and cars that had been like, you know, in these holes in the freeway and, and damage to people's uh, to homes and whatnot, really, the city did, of Anchorage and those surrounding cities did incredibly well. Right. They did really, really well. There, there wasn't were, a large There were no of, deaths. Yeah. To my knowledge, there were no I didn't hear even any, any injuries or any substantial injuries. Wow. I could be wrong that's about that. That's pretty lucky. You know, it's lucky, but it's planning. Mm -hmm. And I think that's incredibly important, particularly mm -hmm. for those of us in areas that have not seen a big earthquake in a long time. Mm -hmm. There are videos of schools in Alaska, and you see the lecture going on, and you see everyone kind of jerk because they felt the P wave or they felt the first shaking, and boom, all those students go under their desks mm -hmm. and do exactly what we hope they'll do. You know, we say drop, cover, and hold on, mm -hmm. and they do that. And you watch the shaking build as the S waves come in and as it's prolonged and, and they're holding. This is why we say hold on, so you're actually not, you know. Sliding. Keep, yeah, you're yeah. keeping that desk over your head. Um, they, did it every, they did everything right. Mm -hmm. And all the planning up to this event which included building codes. Mm -hmm. Number one thing we need to do is ensure, I mean, I always tell my students, you know, no one gets shaken to death in an earthquake. Mm -hmm. Nobody dies from the earthquake. They die People from die because from buildings fall on them. Or, or tsunamis. That's yeah. the other big hazard. But yeah. in this case, this was not a, a tsunami-genic earthquake, an earthquake that generates a wave. When we get through one and do well, we have to remember that that was um, that was by design. Right. It wasn't luck. 
it wasn't um, that we're fine and we're done. Right. Particularly here in the Pacific Northwest, we've got a lot of work to do. Right. We have a lot of seismic retrofit that yeah. needs to do. Yeah. After this earthquake in Anchorage, the next day, my husband and I went around the house and anchored all our furniture to the mm -hmm. wall because we still had bookshelves that we'd been just lax about dealing with. Mm -hmm. It was $5. It was 20 minutes. It was the easiest fix in the world. Right. So, all y'all, whatever camera we have, yeah. <laughs> go do this. Yeah. I mean, there are such simple things that we can do to prepare. I, you know, my hope is that if and when the big one hits, I want emergency services to be able to go to someone else, not to me. I want to make sure that I'm prepared and I don't need that and mm. they can go somewhere, like that I have that knowledge and it's incumbent on me to use it to make sure that others who are less experienced and knowledgeable about it and don't know to prepare get the help they need. So let me take care of myself. Yeah. I mean, you know, I bolted my house to the, well, I didn't do it, hired somebody right. to bolt my house to the foundation because my house, house was built in 1900. We oh. had no idea there were earthquakes like that now. You know, my furniture is now bolted down. Right. We have a good, you know, preparedness kit. Right. That we renew every year. Um, not because I'm paranoid. I really don't feel particularly paranoid about earthquakes. Right. But how embarrassed would I be if as a seismologist, <laughs> I chunked it, right? Yeah. I mean, if the big one hits and it's like, oh, that jerk down the street, she's the one whose house walked off the foundation, like that'd be so embarrassing. I also think we don't have a great sense in this mm -hmm. area of what our hazards are. We're really scared by volcanoes. And we're really scared right. by earthquakes. Landslides are such a more common issue here. Mm -hmm. And really, what's likely to get you? The flu. Right. You know, our sense of, of danger is, is off. Uh, is off. So our suggestion to, to our viewers and listeners, be prepared, totally. do some research. Yeah. Let's, let's end on a high note. What movie should they watch for good <gasps> oh. geophysics and oh. what movie should they watch for terrible geophysics? Okay, oh, the, the second question, it's so much easier. Um, <laughs> so it really depends, like, I, okay, in, volca Ta in terrible, Volcano Land. Terrible, entertaining, good movie. Okay, in Volcano Land, yeah. in the world of just like, what do you want to know about volcanoes? Yeah. So Dante's Peak is pretty good. Dante's Peak is actually a pretty good movie. There I are, think we've talked about this in a previous show. We may show. have. Yeah. There are two major flaws in Dante's Peak. A lot of things happen too fast. Okay. Um, like there are That's people all who, movies, right? Yeah. Like well, even trials don't happen that fast. Totally. In, in like, you know. You've um, got two hours, right? Like Law and Order, right? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> but like, you know, people fall into this acid lake and like their skin falls off really rapidly. Unlikely. Um, <laughs> the, the really, the, there, there are actually two other big issues with Dante's Peak. There's a pyroclastic flow, an explosive eruption produces this block and ash flow. And then in the middle of that, you see this lava, this pahoehoe lava, and you don't get those two. pyroclastic cloud. Totally wrong. <laughs> and then the USGS guy is driving this incredibly spiffy SUV with like a <laughs> snorkel and all that. And like, when I, you know, was at the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory as a grad student, like we had army surplus things where nothing on the dashboard worked and you, you know, you couldn't have the, the lights didn't work, and 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 in that he has to um, hotwire the car, and everyone in the USGS knows where to find the key. I'm not going to tell you, there's, but there's we all know no, where to find no the key. There's no hotwire right. needed. So the key's probably in there already. Outside of that, <laughs> it's pretty good. Actually, all the stories in Dante's Peak are modeled after real eruptions, St. Helens, Mount Pinatubo. Wow. 
So like the the lahars, the mud flows are very St. Helens like. Huh. So a lot of the stories about how the system progressed are Pinatubo. So those are real, and it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Bad ones, like all the rest. Like so the core. The core is terrible. San Andreas. Oh, San Andreas. Yeah, San Andreas. But they're San entertaining movies. Yeah. They, yeah, and like San Andreas, at least, one the good thing about San Andreas, the tsunami was ridiculous. Mm. Totally wrong, way too big. San Andreas Fault's not going to produce that kind of tsunami, wrong, wrong kind of earthquake. But it had multiple waves, and that's often lost on people, mm. that, that uh, tsunami is a series of waves, not right. a single you're wave. Not, so that you're was not good. like done, like you shouldn't go back when you have Do the warning. Do not, like, stay, exactly. Stay it could up, be, go it, to the higher ground. Absolutely. It could be 24 hours that you still have sloshing. Go to the cabin. Stay there. Go up high. Totally. Okay. Um, really, really bad one, Volcano, where the volcano just... comes out of La Brea Tar Pits Wait, in L.A. There's a movie called just Volcano. Oh, yeah. Okay. The subline is the coast is toast. Mm. And it's just awesomely bad. Okay. It's so, so awesomely bad. And, you know, <laughs> but it brings all the L.A. communities together regardless of, like, you know, I actually can't tell the whole thing because people should watch it. But okay. like, regardless of our sort of racial and socioeconomic issues, right. a volcano in the middle of L.A. would bring us all together. A volcano is the joint, the, a common enemy. It's pretty great. Okay. It's pretty great. Right. Yeah. Good. It's, it's all, kind of like the, takes the place of like aliens in like a sci-fi right. movie. Like we've all joined together. Oh, and on that note, actually, Tremors. Tremors <sighs> is the seismologist's favorite. I love it. Totally. Where one of the heroes is a seismologist and she can track where they are okay. because they are, are are traveling underground and and she has seismometers that show where they're shaking and she can triangulate their locations so and that's what you'll be doing when that happens oh yeah yeah well yeah. thank you for talking to me i i'm actually going to totally go watch all those movies maybe i'll i'll sit and we'll just sit and like, have some popcorn yes. together and we'll have melissa there and my kid and it'll be the greatest it will be all right thank Good you deal. so much i'm going to shake your hand I, it's my pleasure thank, thank you, you for so coming much. here We'd like to thank Dr. Jackie Kaplan-Auerbach for coming back on the show. Clip from Tremors, courtesy of Universal Pictures 1990. Clip from Dante's Peak, courtesy of Universal Pictures 1997. And if you are interested in watching a video version of this interview, go to sparksciencenow.com. Spark Science is sponsored by WWU and created in partnership with KMRE. Spark Science is recorded on location and in Bellingham, Washington at Western Washington University. The producers are Suzanne Blaze, Regina Barber-DeGraff, and Robert Clark. Student editors are Julia Thorpe, Andrew Norton, and Zarek Coakley. Additional editing is done by WWU Video Services. If there's a science idea you're curious about, post a message on our Facebook page or tweet us at SparkScienceNow. Thanks for joining us. And if you want to listen to past episodes, visit SparkScienceNow.com.